This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to getbrewninja.com and using the code BREWNINJA21. I go, well, there's only one thing smaller than ethyl, and it's methyl. So it must be the methyl homologue. This week on the show, not something that happens very often, the discovery of new hop acids. This is John Paul May. I'm technical director with Hopsteiner. I think we should first give folks listening a quick refresher on hop acids. What are the various categories of hop acids and what does each category do for us in beer? Yeah, there's primarily two major uh, organic acids in hops, uh, alpha acids and beta acids. And those two hop acids are made up of a number of homologs. And what a homologue is, is essentially the molecules, essentially all the same, except there's a side chain and it's an acyl side chain and it can uh, vary in its structure. Um, So the alpha acid and the beta acid both have the same exact side chains. But what differentiates alpha acids from beta acids is that the alpha acid has a hydroxy group uh, at the bottom of the molecule and the beta acid instead has an isoprenial group. So that's what differentiates the two. The other thing that's important to note is that the alpha acid requires that hydroxy group in order for it to isomerize. So when you boil hops, the alpha acids will isomerize and uh, undergo a ring contraction to form isoalpha acids. So alpha acids and beta acids both have uh, are six-membered uh, carbon molecules, six-membered rings, and then the alpha will isomerize to form a five-membered ring called isoalpha acid. And, and we refer to some of these as major versus minor. What does that distinction really mean? Is that just the extent to which they are present, or does it does it mean something different? Yeah, it means the concentration. So, <clears throat> for an example, uh, there are some hop varieties. Let's just use twelve percent as an example. Uh, they'll have twelve percent alpha acids, and of that twelve percent, you know, about thirty-five or 30% of it will be uh, one homologue, uh, generally co 
uh, humulone. So, and that's the isopropyl side chain. And then you'll have about 60% or so of the N homolog, which is the isobutyl. And then you'll have about 10 or 15% of the uh, third homolog, which is uh, the uh, ad humulone, and that's the sec butyl. Uh, there are, again, four minor homologs uh, found in hops, uh, and they're found in very low concentrations, generally under 0.2%. So uh, they're they're sometimes hard to see uh, by the HPLC, but um, but they're present in pretty much all hop varieties, but at very, very low concentrations. Okay, so not much has changed in the realm of hop acids since all of the work that was done to understand their structure and isomerization back in the 1950s and 60s, right? Right, yeah. Uh, it's actually kind of interesting to note that um, even though brewers knew there was something in the hops that was causing it to be bitter, uh, they really didn't know what the proper molecular structure was. And that was something that Rigby did. The other thing that's kind of interesting, too, if you read some of the old uh, literature, they didn't really know that there were like three homologs uh, for alpha acids and beta acids. They, If you read some of the old literature, they'll generally refer to like, you know, A uh, alpha acid and A beta acid. And one of the things that Rigby did uh, in 1953 is he... Uh, elucidated the molecular structure of co-N and ADD, and he definitively proved that the alpha acids do undergo a thermal isomerization to form isoalpha acids in the beer. Uh, Verzali actually had done some work on this as well. Uh, he actually discovered uh, some isoalpha acids in beer, but what's interesting is he coined the name iso-alpha acid because he thought it was an isomer of alpha acids. He didn't, you know, we think of iso as meaning isomerized, but, but back then he's like, no, it's an isomer because they were able to do uh, molecular weights. And so he knew the molecular weight of alpha didn't change when it went to iso. So he thought, oh, maybe there was something in the molecule that just kind of twisted or turned, right? He didn't think ring contraction. You know, and anyways, but but that's where Verza, uh, 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 Rigby came in and and, and showed that. Uh, shortly after that, um, Rigby's publication in 1953, Verzali uh, published a paper in 1958 discovering a minor homologue, and uh, that was the uh, post uh, humulone. And the post humulone is. Uh, where the side chain is ethyl, so just two carbons. And then in uh, 1962, so about uh, four years later, Brazili uh, discovered another minor homologue, uh, which he called uh, pre-humulone, and that's the isopentyl uh, side chain. And then basically nothing happens until, what, 2004? Right, right. And even in 2004, this guy Zhang, he used like this, uh, I don't know, mass spec uh, uh, detection to discover this uh, other one. I don't know of anyone who's been able to confirm Zhang's discovery, uh, but you know he claims he discovered a new minor alpha acid and beta acid, and he called it ADPRE, which is a uh, two-methyl uh, butane uh, side chain. And then, of course, uh, uh, this year we reported the discovery of a new minor alpha acid and beta acid uh, called acetohumulone and acetolupulone. 
Okay, I can't help but picture you searching some distant jungle like Indiana Jones as you make the discovery of this new alpha acid. Obviously, that's not how it happened. Tell us how it did happen. Yeah. So uh, I'm uh, a secretary on the International Hop Standards Committee. And some of the responsibilities that our group does is uh, produce new HPLC calibration standards uh, for various hop compounds. And so my lab has generally been producing these new HPLC calibration standards. And the way we make these standards is uh, we were making one for beta acid. And so we isolate beta acids from CO2 hop extract and we <clears throat> isolate it in fairly pure form. But then what we do is we'll react the beta acid with dicyclohexylamine. So uh, beta acid is an organic acid and dicyclohexylamine is an organic base. And so when you react an acid with a base, you form a salt. And so this salt, you can recrystallize from an organic solvent and get it very, very, very pure. And so when we uh, injected this HPLC calibration standard for beta acids uh, onto the HPLC, the HPLC is an instrument that has a very special column. And that column uh, separates out the various homologs in hops and hop acids. And so we were able to see, you know, the pre-humalone uh, and the co-N and add and, and the post-humalone. And one of the things we noticed, uh, I'm sorry, it was the post-humalone and then it was co-N and add and pre. And then what we were noticed was before the post-peak, which again, that's the ethyl group, we saw a little blip in the baseline just before it. And our HPLC has a diode ray detector. And what a diode ray detector allows us to do is look at the whole UV wavelength of that molecule or of that peak. And so because beta acids all have the same UV wave spectrum, when we looked at this little tiny blip in the baseline, it also had the same UV wavelength spectrum of beta acid. So we're like, this is probably a new beta acid. And so because again, it's reverse phase HPLC, the peaks that come off earlier are the smaller molecules. So, you know, I said to my chemist, like, okay, it came before, you know, the post lupulone, which is ethyl. What do you think it is? And he said he didn't know. I go, well, there's only one thing smaller than ethyl, and it's methyl. And I says, so it must be the methyl homologue. Tell us about uh, Lena de Cooper's work and how that fits into all of this. Yeah. So when we discovered this new peak, and I was pretty 100% sure it was the methyl homologue, I wanted to double check and make sure that someone else hadn't discovered it. So I did a literature search and I couldn't find anybody who discovered the, uh, the methyl homologue. However, I came across uh, De Cooper's work. She uh, was synthesizing novel beta acids for anti-cancer research. And uh, what she, one of the beta acids that she synthesized was the, the methyl. And she called it acetolupulone. So because she called it acetolupulone, we decided to keep with her nomenclature. And so that's why we called it acetolupulone as well as acetohumulone. And so we followed her synthesis. We were able to make the acetolupulone. We actually reacted it with dicyclohexylamine. So now we have an HPLC calibration standard for acetolupulone. And so when we injected it on the HPLC, 
it came off at the same exact spot, all right, of where this new uh, peak came. And uh, we then went on and synthesized the acetohumulone and again, made the dicyclohexylamine of that. And then we were able to find that also in hops and it was much easier to find it actually in CO2 hop extract. Coming up. If you find a, a new beta acid, there should be a corresponding alpha acid and, and vice versa. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, Try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. This episode is brought to you by RAR Malting Company, celebrating 175 years of the malt of reputation. Since 1847, RAR Malt has been a benchmark of quality and consistency for brewers everywhere. Now offering Dextrin Malt to help you boost mouthfeel and haze in your IPA or to show off a jiggly foam stand on a pills. Available exclusively at bsgcraftbrewing.com. Are you looking to improve quality, shelf life, and sleep better at night while offering a wider portfolio of beverages? Alpha Laval has over 30 years of experience delivering inline flash pasteurization technology to the brewing industry. Flexitherm is a tried and true flash pasteurizer at an affordable price and comprised of Alpha Laval's own high quality pumps, valves, and heat exchangers. Whether you offer barrel aged beer and non alcoholics or are expanding your customer reach with your core brands, Alpha Laval's Flexitherm can accomplish all your goals in a flash. Visit us at alphalaval.us slash MBAA to learn more. Keg Shoe Keg Tracking. Do you remember the last time you placed an order for kegs? How you thought, this time, it'll be different? This time, they won't go missing? Deposits in order, kegs delivered, tapped, and brought back to the brewery moved as quickly as they're sold. See how keg shoe keg tracking can make a difference and get started for free at kegshoe.ca slash podcast. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Philly meets at Rural City Beer Company August 26th. District St. Paul, Minneapolis meets at The Lab August 30th. Don't miss the NA Beer Production Using Evaporative De-Alcoholization Methods webinar August 31st. The world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins September 9th. District Milwaukee meets at Third Space Brewing September 15th. 
Don't miss the Using CellPose 2.0 and Open Source Deep Neural Network for Yeast Cell Counting webinar on September 19th. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. Was there something different about this instrument? And if not, why do you think no one before you had made this discovery? Was the peak just overlooked until now or maybe confused for something else? The concentration was so tiny, uh, it would be very difficult to know what you know you were seeing unless you were looking for it. And so that's why when we made the HPLC calibration standard, I mean, if you look at this uh, HPLC calibration standard, the HPLC trace, the baseline is completely flat. All right. And so it's I mean, that just shows you how pure the standard is. It's like 99 percent pure. And so when we were able to, you know, blow up the baseline uh, to expand any minor peaks that might be there, we saw this one to give you an like example. The previous uh, ones, although I can't talk about Zhang, but like Verzali, when he discovered the pre and the post, we see those in hops and uh, at around uh, 1,000 to 2,000 parts per million. Uh, some varieties can be a little higher than that, uh, but it's in that range, about 1,000 to 2,000. However, uh, with this uh, Aceto product, uh, we were getting concentrations like at 100 parts per million. So very, very low, very, very low. You knew that if you had discovered a new beta acid, that meant there was a corresponding alpha acid. Explain that to listeners. Yeah, right. Well, if you check the literature, you can find uh, the proposed uh, uh, biosynthesis of hop acids. And they all interestingly start... The very beginning of the biosynthesis process is actually the addition of that homolog, all right? And then if you work your way through the whole biosynthesis, the very last step is an oxidation step, which will form the alpha acid, or a perennialation step, which forms the beta acid. So the homolog was, pre- was prepared long before you get to the decision of whether you're an alpha or a beta. And because hops produce both, you should have both. So if you find a, a new beta acid, there should be a corresponding alpha acid and, and vice versa. So are these new hop acids found in all varieties or only in some cultivars or what? Well, we looked at about six different hop varieties and they were present in all six, the aceto and, uh, and as well as uh, the, uh, the, uh, the post and the pre. So we were able to see those those peaks. Like I said, uh, Zhang in his paper, he kind of mentions how he uses this, uh, you know, time of flight, you know, uh, mass spec technology for finding compounds that are come off at the same time on the HPLC as other compounds. And so they're able to use this technology to discover new new molecules. Were there any varieties that had um, you know, much more of it than others, or was it all a similar concentration? Oh, yeah, the, the, definitely there was uh, differences in the variety. The other thing that was kind of interesting is, as a general rule, uh, hops contain more alpha acids than beta acids. But when it came to aceto, um, we actually found the opposite. We found higher concentrations of the beta 
uh, versus uh, the alpha. So like the Eureka hop variety had the highest concentration of, uh, the, of the both alpha and the beta. But as you can see in uh, our, our paper, um, in CO2 hop extract, there's a 0.09%. So that's 90 parts per million of the beta in the extract uh, for Eureka. Whereas when we look at the alpha, it's 0.045%, uh, so 45 parts per million. So the alpha is actually half the concentration of the, uh, of the beta uh, in the uh, Eureka variety. Uh, Calypso was very, very low. Um, in the, the beta was uh, 0.137%, uh, all right, in the extract. And so that's 1,300 parts per million. But the alpha in the extract was 0.0065. So that's like 6.5 parts per million beta acid. So it's very low. Okay. You've, um, you've been on the show in the past talking about beta acids and sort of their, um, their role in, in hazy beers. Is there anything potentially interesting here uh, with this new beta acid? And could it possibly do anything interesting for us or special you know, in, in, uh, in a hazy beer? Well, again, as a general rule, the smaller these molecules, the more polar they are. And so therefore, the more polar they are, the more soluble they should be. Um, a, a kind of an interesting side note, uh, the, the hop industry for, for many years, in fact, I might be primarily responsible for a lot of this. We always thought measuring these hop acids by HPLC was significantly more accurate than measuring these hop acids uh, by UV spectro, which is commonly used in North America. Uh, a lot of the rest of the world buys and sells, you know, hop alpha acid or, or alpha based on HPLC. But lately I've been coming around and, and, and thinking about it because when you look at the uh, HPLC uh, concentration, of uh, let's say alpha acid or beta acid, it's always a little bit lower than the uh, alpha acid and beta acid concentration by UV spectro. And the difference can be as little as zero and as much as maybe 0.2 or 0.3%. That being said, when we measure alpha acids or beta acids by HPLC, we only measure the major homologs, Cohen and Ad. We never think about measuring the minor ones. And we're now starting to realize the minor ones are actually there. They're present. Uh, and because UV spectro doesn't look at a specific peak, it just looks for a molecule that has the same wavelength. This is why I believe the UV spectro method is probably measuring these compounds, the total compounds, maybe a little bit more accurately than HPLC. That's interesting. You, you pretty much just answered my next question. I was going to ask you, uh, you know, if the, if this new alpha acid was already showing up on COAs as part of the total alpha acid content for a given hot product. And, and I know, as you just said, there's different methods for determining alpha acids. I mean, there's also the lead conductance method. And then of course the UV uh, spectrophotometer, like you just mentioned. Um, and I know like the EBC method for the, their spectrophotometer method is, is just, is, um, I think they call it total bitter substances analysis or something like that. So um, it sounds like the answer is it really depends on the, the method, whether or not all these minor ones are, are showing up or not, right? Well, right. Yeah. And if you want to measure them, uh, you know, like I said, it's, it's kind of funny when, as we're making these uh, HPLC calibration standards 
purer and purer and purer, we're starting to see these minor homologs, you know, and, and a lot of people are like saying, well, should we be measuring them? Shouldn't we be measuring them? And we're like, you know, the large brewers are really not going to be measuring them. And so therefore we, we just ignore them, but they are there. And, and like I said, when you can measure, like I said, in this table of ours in the, in the publication, you know, how much is uh, post, you know, in pellets, it's like, you know, a thousand parts per million, you know, in the pre it's, well, it's a little bit lower. It's about 300, but still, you know, uh, we're, we're seeing it, you know, we're seeing, you know, measurable amounts. And then as you add these all up, you know, you are getting 0.2 or 0.3% more alpha in there. And, uh, you know, how companies, that's a, that's a, that's a large percentage. It's safe to assume that these, all of these minor um, alpha acids, they're all going to isomerize the same way as the major ones do, right? There's not, not going to be any difference in sort of their, you know, ability to convert to, to bitterness. Correct. Yeah, they'll, they'll all isomerize. And, and also an interesting thing, as I mentioned earlier, because they come off earlier on the HPLC, at least the acido and the post-lupulone uh, uh, come off before the co-N and add, uh, they'll, they're more polar and therefore they'll be more soluble. Uh, a lot of people don't think about this too much, but if you uh, throw hops in the brew kettle and it contains, let's say, 30% uh, co-humulone, okay, uh, when you look at the beer, it could contain as much as 35 to 40% co-humulone. You get act, an actual enrichment in the co, and it's because it's that much more soluble than the N and the ad. You know, it's, like I said, it's, it's kind of interesting to think that, okay, N and ad have an extra carbon and an extra two hydrogens, you know, and I go, is that really significant enough to uh, decrease their solubility? And, and it is because we can measure it in the beer. So the same thing with the acido, the tiny amounts we find in hops are going to be significantly enriched in the beer if one wants to go and try to look for it. Is it likely that even more of these minor acids will be discovered in the future? Um, you know, and if so, you know, is the total sum of them going to become more significant over time? You know, it's funny, I, I give a talk on hop chemistry, and I'll mention the, the major homologs, and I'll mention the minor homologs. And I always end that section by saying, and there's probably other ones, they just haven't been discovered. And so now we, we have discovered one. And so I can never say we won't discover a new one, because there, there, there could be very well some additional minor ones that we just haven't found yet. <laughs> That was John Paul May here on the Master Brewers Podcast. If you're with us here in Providence for the 2022 Brewing Summit, come check out John Paul's poster or grab a beer with him. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers Podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Let's talk and get